Welcome to Buy the Books, the podcast helping business owners navigate the complex world of business, tax, and bookkeeping. Now, to the owner and president of Secline, Lindsay Klein. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This is Lindsay Klein with Secline, honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time and your host to Buy the Books. I'm here today with a guest I'm super excited about. Susan Bryant, who is the principal of MB Group, a CPA firm located in this area based out of Plano, Texas. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. This is really exciting. It's a pleasure to be here. You're one of those people that as soon as I met, I immediately gravitated towards and somebody that I'm hoping one day you'll be my mentor because I feel like I could learn so much from you. Wow, that really (laughs) means a lot. Um, I can tell just by the way you run your business and the way you speak of your employees and your clients that you're someone that just is a genuinely good person that wants to help people, whether it's an employee or a client, you want to improve people's lives. And I love that. Thank you. That that really those words mean so much to me. Well, <laughs> that, I really uh, that kind of gets me a little choked up. Um, uh, I really appreciate that, and I thank you for for being so generous with your compliments. So uh, we definitely try to do our best. One of our core values is caring. Mm-hmm. We just have to care. We have, to, we have yeah. to care, especially as accountants. I mean, it takes a lot of effort. And so you really, this is a calling. I you know, tell people all the time who come and work for us as you know, accountants is that this is never going to be a job. This is never going to be a mm. career. It really is a calling. It's something that's placed on your heart and you got to feel it. Um, and just that right there is so unique, what you just said. I have not heard, I don't think, a single accountant talk that way. <laughs> How many accountants talk about heart and caring? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's rare. And I spotted that in you right away, for sure. And in this industry, I'm sure you know, um, a lot of my bookkeeping clients ask me for referrals for tax preparers. And the number one complaint I hear over and over and over is customer service issues. Oh, yeah. It's almost never issues with they didn't know what they were doing or they didn't get it on time. Sometimes it's that. Yeah. But typically it's I can't get them to call me back. Um, you know, they don't treat me very nicely. It's mm-hmm. customer service related right. stuff. And you think we would get that right. I, you know, it's really interesting. I, I feel like there's almost a revolution that's coming in our industry. You think it, so? it's, it's coming. It has to. Talent will not stay. Mm. And good talent will not stay in this industry. They'll go. There's plenty of other opportunities for fabulous accountants to go and do other things. Mm. Um, the hours are terrible. The culture is bad. Uh, you know, the service. So we've got sort of practitioners, not they're running their businesses like CPAs instead of like business owners. And so eventually there's going to be this shift. It's it's coming. It has to. Otherwise, there's just surely not going to be enough people to do all the work that needs to get done. I mean, I'm sure you uh, you know this. I mean, there's so many there's so many business owners and you drive around just in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's thousands of businesses, you know, in a, you know, 10 square mile radius. Mm-hmm. They all need accounting work. They all need tax returns. Yep. You're yeah. right. Absolutely. And you have kind of a unique way that you look at your clients and business in general in that you're not just contacting your client at tax time. Like you want the full scope. You want to help them all year long. Oh man. Uh, boy, do we. Well, you know, there's a few things about this. So first off, you know, we are advocates 
of accounting. You know, anybody who comes to us and they don't have routine, regimented, disciplined accounting policies and procedures, we've got to reform them. They have to be performed. It's not a business. It's just a tax write-off. Ah. And that's that's a completely different mentality. So we want to get the business owner thinking like a business owner. And the first way to do that is to implement the accounting. We've got to get you looking at your numbers, knowing your numbers, understanding your numbers, mm. actually looking at the performance. There is nothing more exciting than a big profit at the end of every month to get a business owner psyched up and ready to go. Yes. I mean, it's exciting. Now, Absolutely. when we kind of fast forward to tax planning time and then all of a sudden they have a tax bill, uh, they get a little deflated. <laughs> I mean, it's natural. Um, but it's really important to take the accounting information and push it over to the tax, you know, take off that accounting hat, put on the tax hat, and really think about how can we mitigate the taxes? What are strategies we should be implementing? It's not an afterthought. Mm. It is something that is proactively done and refined as your business continues to grow. So what are some examples of some strategies that you use for tax planning? Oh, man. I think we've got like a hundred different ones. Really? So I, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So at the we've got actually a nice little format that we use. Um, where we actually, uh, my tax my team, they will go through and like think about all these ideas and we'll make like a checklist of all the things we want to talk about with the client. Things that could be applicable, anything from adding your kids to payroll, implementing a different retirement plan, whether it's a 401k or a defined benefit plan. Um, it could be um, buying real estate, like commercial real estate, being owner-occupied, benefiting from cross-segregation study, R&D tax credit, you know, all the things of the late, you know, the CARES Act, the employee retention credit. I mean, we will go through every single line item looking for what could apply to this particular That's business and, and business owner. Because, I mean, ultimately, most of these are privately held owner-operated businesses where they're pass-throughs, that's corps or partnerships, sometimes Schedule Cs, right? Mm -hmm. And so the owner is ultimately the taxpayer. So, I mean, we are... We have the ability as accounting professionals to literally change someone's financial future. Yes. That piece to me, I feel like accountants are so busy working in the past. Mm. A lot of times hung up on the compliance issues and all that stuff's important. Don't get me wrong. It's got to be done. Accounting is important. The tax returns are important. But I think we're missing the boat a lot. And this is sort of another one of the things in the profession that has to change is we got to start being future oriented. We're going to think That's about yeah, what's coming, not just what's happened. Right. Let's drill down on a, a few of those strategies. Okay. One of them you mentioned was putting your kids on payroll. Yeah. And I've had this come up a couple of times in the past and have even suggested it to a couple of my clients. Essentially, the strategy there, correct me if I'm wrong, is you can pay your child up to a certain amount tax-free, correct? Yep. That's right. 12000 is it? It's $12,000, okay. yes. Okay. As of the, right now. Yeah. And they need to be paid from your, your, like, your family office on your Schedule C. Okay. So not out of your S-Corp, not out of your partnership. Okay. Paid now, from your why Schedule that C. distinction? Um, so that's a, just a distinction in the tax code, the way okay. that it works. And so if you ha were an employee of an S-Corporation, you're subject to Social Security, Medicare tax, and food tax. But if you pay your kids out of your family office, your family business on your Schedule C, you're exempt, your kids are exempted from the Social Security, Medicare, and Really? Food okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, and you don't even really have to do a W-2 either. Most people end up doing a W-2 for the kids, mainly because they want to make a, like a Roth IRA contribution, so, um, okay. um, which is sort of a powerful thing if you think about it. We're taking pre-tax money and putting it in an after-tax retirement account. Mm, I mean, okay. I mean, that sounds almost like magical. Like, <laughs> it's just stuff that gets accounting, you know, accounts all excited, like, what? Pre-tax and then after-tax? What? We'll never pay tax on it, ever. I mean, that... 
that's remarkable that you can even do that. And it's totally unleveraged. Now, are there rules? Absolutely. Do your kids really have to work for you? Yes. Do you really have to make them do a job? Yes. Do you have a job description for them? Yes. Does it have to be, are we compensating them fairly? We need to ask all those questions. So there are parameters as there is with everything in the tax code. But the great thing is, is that it's available for you and you should at least be exploring it. Okay. Yeah. That's a good idea. So even if you don't do the whole 12K, maybe you're doing 4K, 8K, something. Okay. Think about what it is you could pay your kid. Okay. So then going down to the retirement accounts, how can people, business owners specifically, how can they utilize retirement accounts to mitigate some of their tax liability? Yeah, retirement is fabulous. So, you know, there are sort of these tiers, if you will. The IRA, everybody knows about the traditional IRA. Most people make too much money as business owners. They're going to be exempted from even participating in that, right? Not allowed. Um, And then you kind of work your way up to the the SEP, the self-employed person's um, IRA. Um, a lot of people, there's a lot of business owners who love the SEP, especially if they have just a few employees. I think it's terrible. It is really? very expensive from a self-employment tax standpoint. Interesting. And for you to do the max contribution, I mean, you've got to pay yourself you know, close to $300,000 a year in wages. That's a lot of Social Security and Medicare tax. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so we have the... I, I think a lot of people navigate that direction or migrate that direction because setting up a SEP IRA is easy. Okay. There's no compliance requirements. You know, you don't have to have a plan document or a form 5500, you know, like a 401k. But it's just not tax efficient. Interesting. So, so what do you recommend usually instead? I recommend a 401k always because you can pay you and your spouse and you can immediately achieve with a little amount of payroll. You know, right now the, the maximum is 20500 for the year 2022. I mean, you can pay somebody less than $25,000 and almost all of it goes, you know, is pre-tax. Mm. That's pretty powerful. So imagine doing that for you and your spouse. I mean, that's almost $50,000 in savings. And you're not paying anywhere near the self-employment tax that you were were a SEP just to get to 56K or 57K or whatever it is now. So now the 401k plan, if in the right situation, is paired with a, a defined benefit plan, a cash balance plan. So people often don't know what this is, but I mean, you have the ability as a business owner to set up a pension plan for yourself. That's essentially what a defined benefit plan is. Hmm. So unlike a defined contribution plan, that's a 401k where you know exactly what you're contributing now, a defined benefit plan says based on your age and how much you're making, we need your contri- we need your benefits at the end of your you know working career to be X, Y, and Z. How much do we have to put in now to get that defined benefit. And so it's really, um, it's extremely powerful. I mean, we've got clients who are contributing $250,000, $300,000 a year to their defined benefit plan. It's insane Is amounts. that tax-free? So it's a deduction in their companies. So okay. they move money from okay. this pocket to this pocket and get a tax deduction. Okay. They kick it into this long-term bu- bucket where it grows tax-free. And then at some point in the future... They're going to withdraw it for retirement purposes just like they would from a 401k or an IRA, and they'll pay tax on it at that time. Okay. So it operates similar to a 401k. Mm-hmm. Okay. In that, that it's going to grow tax-free. Okay. So, But you get the tax right off now. And for a lot of these business owners who are in extremely you know, high marginal tax brackets, you know, to me, 
it's not necessarily the dollars that you're paying in tax. It's always the rate at which you are paying tax, mm. right? So if I can get into a lower tax bracket, mm. I mean, that's awesome. I'm shaving off, you know, this huge amount of tax at a higher rate. Right. So that's really, that's where tax planning becomes strategic. I mean, we see all the time, you know, people are like, oh, I'm going to buy a car in my business. Yeah, that's awesome. But they'll buy the car in a year where they owe very little in tax. And then the next year, they're going to owe a lot more in tax. And I'm like, ugh. We have to save these deductions for when they are the most valuable to us. Mm, that that so, makes sense. So that's probably part of your tax planning sessions too, is yep. what big purchases do you need to make yep. and when to make them? Absolutely. You know, expense acceleration, income deferral, there's a variety of techniques that you're using all the time, right? This is... And there's not like a one size fits all. There are mm. some strategies that are more common, if you will, for business owners. Um, but I mean, it's great when you can uh, really work with a client and then all of a sudden you've got so many different strategies lined up. And I mean, they're racking up, you know, $250,000, $300,000 a year in tax savings. I mean, it's just That's remarkable. fantastic. Yeah. Now, another thing you had mentioned is real estate. How can business owners utilize real estate to lower their tax liability? Yeah, so real estate is great. You know, there are some limitations in the tax code. <clears throat> so if we are a business owner, the best way for us to purchase uh, real estate would be commercial real estate that our business then occupies as a, as a tenant. Um, when you do that, then you're generally active in the real estate um, that you've purchased because you're the tenant in it. So that frees you up to take in some, take the losses associated with that particular building um, on your Schedule E on your 1040. That's usually where we see real estate owned by uh, owner-occupied, you know, businesses. Um, the greatest thing about a commercial real estate is, is that these buildings are so large, they're significant in value that you can perform something called a cost segregation study. So the cost segregation study is this very niche area of the tax code, which essentially allows you to say, let's break down and evaluate all the components of the building and break them into the respective tax lives. So five-year property, seven-year property, depending on what that is, or everything else, 39-year property. Well, as you can imagine, um, in the cost segregation study, we're looking for a five-year and seven-year property because we're able to accelerate the depreciation right. of those particular types of, of assets so that we can create a bigger cash, uh, non-cash deduction up front to save the cash tax dollars. So, so on a big building, you could maybe take, what exactly are you looking for? Like fixtures or what are you looking for to, to accelerate? Yeah, it could be anything from cabinetry to flooring uh, to, you know, is the crown molding uh, nailed or is it glued? I mean, it gets into that. Interesting. So there are some, it's very, very technical. And there's a, I mean, fortunately, there's experts who specialize in just that Soft, particular. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is. And you've got to work with them, of course. Um, but you get so to know So if you don't strategies. break it all up, everything is 39 years. 39 years. So basically, you're taking the cost of that real estate and deducting it on some kind of 39-year schedule. Yeah. Which is just a small amount per year. Straight line over 39 years. So whatever you can take out and depreciate in five or seven years instead, yeah. whether it be cabinets or fixtures or crown molding, then yeah. obviously you can take a bigger deduction every year. That's right. Exactly. And some of this five and seven-year property, well, now is bonus depreciation. So it's not just accelerated over a five-year period. You're taking it all in the first year. Ah, okay. So, yeah. So we will harness the tax code to our advantage. You know, that's the thing. I mean, you just have to, we have to look for the opportunities and the ones we do, it's just tax savings for the client. 
So that's awesome. Yeah. So what what are some other good strategies? Oh, um, so I would definitely say that we spend a lot of time looking at any type of federal incentive that exists. So like the employee retention credit of late. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody who has a payroll in a business should have explored this. And if you haven't, it's not too late. You could still go back and do it. But if you had, if you meet the requirements for the employee retention credit, so if you were not an essential business required to shut down as a part of the pandemic, you already, or, or notice it's or, or you had a 50% decline in gross receipts, right? Or you had to make some significant changes to how your business operated due to the pandemic. You could be you know, right. You'd be eligible. So, I mean, we've had attorneys who have, you know, received, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because they had to revise the way that they do business. You had to wow. go from in-person depositions to Zoom depositions. That's a huge change in your business. Right. Huge change. So, you may not qualify under the 50% gross receipts, you know, <clears throat> decline, but you will qualify under the, we had to rework our entire business model due to the pandemic. So oh, that's worth exploring. Yes. I didn't even know that was one of the um, eligibility options. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, okay. There, there's some there's some really interesting thing. Again, you got to talk to the experts. They're like way more informed than I am. Um, but it's always worth a 15 minute conversation. Right. Do I do I qualify? If so, I mean, we've had clients who've gotten a million dollars. We've gotten we've had clients who've gotten five thousand dollars. You know, it's still free government money. Mm -hmm. You get to pay tax on that stuff. It's not free, free, but (laughs) close to free, right? And then the R&D credits is another one that you had mentioned. Yeah. So that is something that probably not a lot of business owners know about. And it seems like maybe even some accountants don't know about it. Yeah, that's true. Or they don't pay attention to it. Yeah. Uh, Well, I would say that it is... um, there has to be a significant amount of money invested in research and development. Usually that's in the form of wages, right? So people usually get hung up on like, well, I'm not spending that much on R&D. But if you start looking at the time your employees are spending, mm. that starts to add up. And you can go back in time. So usually you're doing this three-year look back to see how much can we go back and recapture for this initial period. Um, a lot of times people will say, well, I had an app developed, but I had it de- developed in another country. That won't qualify, right? Uh, it's got okay. to be like domestic um, contractors, salaries, and other expenses associated with some type of research and development. But um, And there has to be a technical component to it. So you have to have – generally, you're going to have some type of engineer that's going to have some type of schematic drawing. or There's going to be something technical associated with the R&D. Gotcha. So, okay. you know, it's – Probably not going to be overly simplistic things, but it doesn't have to be new to the whole world. It just has to be new to you. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So again, another 15-minute conversation to say, is this worth me going forward with? Right. Or if I've had very little in the past, but I'm getting ready to start investing a lot of money in R&D, what should I be doing so that's easy to track? Mm. So when we get to the time to prepare the credit, like... All the hard work is done, right? Exactly. So again, begin. I mean, it's the whole Stephen Covey thing, right? Begin with the end in mind. There you go. Yeah. If anyone needs help with that bookkeeping, we would be more than happy to help with that. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and you and I were talking about this before the podcast. I mean, accounting is literally the fundamentals mm-hmm. of everything in business. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was even thinking about this the other day. You know, 
every business is judged by its profitability. I mean, this is what drives enterprise value. This is what, you know, this is what people buy when they buy a business, right? It all goes back to accounting. You know, and I, I would get, you know, I'd have people probably, you know, bring up and, you know, argue with me and, you know, mention, I mean, well, what about intellectual property and a really great product idea and a killer customer list and all these other things? Like, yeah, but all of that usually results in profits, which are accounted for, which uh-huh. are seen on your P&L, which means if you do not have a solid P&L, how much is your company worth? How, I mean, mm-hmm. what are you really building here? Right. I mean, this is your biggest, I, I always feel like it's really strange to me when people don't invest in your biggest asset. Your business is your biggest asset. I mean, it's, you're likely banking a lot on this Well, and a lot thing. of business owners don't think that way or even see their business as an asset. And I say this as someone that deals primarily with smaller businesses under five million in annual revenue typically. So I I'm dealing with usually solopreneurs or a few employees and they're not thinking of their business that way usually. Yeah. Um so it's it's interesting talking to them in those terms where you almost see this light bulb go off. Like they've never it never even occurred to them that they were growing an asset. Mm-hmm. It's a different way to think about business. It is. It is. You know, I think I attributed this to the I I like to think that they're on the hamster wheel. We're we all are as business owners. I mean, we're just on the hamster wheel, we're just constantly doing stuff, mm-hmm. right? It's more revenue, more revenue, more, more revenue, one more problem, operations, more employees. I mean, that's how it goes, right? Very rarely are these business owners like get off the hamster wheel and go do some actual strategic planning to say, I want to go from point A to point B. Mm. How am I gonna get there? And pull in a team of advisors and resources. I spent a lot of time with my clients on this. Is really talking to them and coaching them. Like, let's talk about the top priorities this year that move our business forward, that drive that value, that handle, you know, like, address all of our initiatives that will get us to be more profitable, help us to reach our personal and professional financial goals. That's that's the name of the game here. So that strategic planning is is the key. You know, step back for a while, mm-hmm. a few times a year. And think bigger. We gotta get to the point where we can dream a little. You know what right, I mean? But right. you can't do that when you're like trying to send proposals and you know, you got a, a fire drill happening with a client or you know I mean there's a million things happening in everybody's business. There's a book called The Four Principles of Execution where the, he talks about the concept of the whirlwind, what he calls the whirlwind, which yeah. is the stuff that happens in your business every day. Yeah. And basically instead of resisting it, just know that you're gonna have the whirlwind every day. Yes. But his um, assertion is that you should still spend 10, 20% of your time towards your really big goals. Absolutely. And whether that be planning or strategy or income generating activity, whatever that is, that is your goal for that day or that year, that you're still spending at least 10% of your time on that. Knowing that, yes, 90% of my time may be just dealing with the whirlwind, yeah. but I still progressed forward. Well, I think also some of it is as though you said, like, they're, what, they should spend 10 to 20% of the time working on their goals. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, business owners haven't even mapped out what that goal is. Mm, so maybe that's where you start. <laughs> right. What's your intention? I've asked this question before. What do you want to do? We had a client come in for a strategy setting meeting, and I I made them write. They, it was three of them, and I had them write down on a piece of paper and answer questions for me about what where they saw their business in like three, five, ten years. They all had a different response. Wow, they weren't even aligned. I mean, you talk mm-hmm. about like 
you're working on your goals. I mean, one of them's going one direction, the other one. I mean, we're not even rowing in the same direction here. Oh boy! So it was very enlightening. Um, and by the end of the session, it was it was like they had discussed it, hashed hashed out like why that was not a good plan, why this was a better plan, and that they were they were headed in a direction. And it has improved their business significantly. That's amazing. It's crazy. So, I mean, the first thing is you got to be intentional. And I would say if you're starting a partnership, like the discussions you should have when you're starting a partnership. Yes. So it sounds like that exercise that you do really should be done at the very beginning before the partnership is established. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And then, and then you know, make sure your legal documents are in place. Right, right. <laughs> like that too, right? <laughs> the spirit and intention of the right. goal and contributions and who's going to do what and when and how and 100%. Yeah, you need to be on the same page so you're headed in the same direction. Otherwise, I mean, where are you going? I mean, I tell people this all the time. It's like, okay, I want to go to Home Depot. I go open my Apple, my Apple Maps and it tells me, you know, go north and then, you know, for a mile and then take a right and boom, I'm there. But if I just get in my car and start driving, I mean, before you know it, I'm like, hey, I'm at the California Pizza Kitchen. I was trying to get to Home Depot, you know? And you're just wherever you ended up, mm-hmm. not where you wanted to go. Right. So, no, that makes sense. Yeah. We have to actually kind of plan things out a little bit. That means... Getting out of the whirlwind, right? Mm-hmm. So tornado be gone, and <laughs> it's time to actually spend some time thinking about where we want to go. That's good. I like that. And even with tax planning, I would think that that applies because if you know where you want to end up at the end of the tax year, and presumably you would want to have the money saved up for whatever you're anticipating at the end of the tax year, yeah. tax planning goes a long way into that Absolutely. at the beginning. Yeah, 100%. You know, Lindsay, I'm so glad you brought this up because, you know, um, here we are right around the April uh, 18th deadline uh-huh. this year. And for the majority of our business clients, you know, we make them go through tax planning at year end. So they know exactly what they owe before really? we even get to the deadline. They know what they owe in December. Really? And we're forecasting and it's an estimate, you know, but we're we're usually pretty close. And so they've got three and a half months to prepare for that cash outflow. Like we, they know what's coming. And That's instead fantastic. Of, right. So instead of, you know, 415, oh my gosh, I had no idea I owed that much. What's going on? It's more like, hey, it's just a reminder. We told you back in December, this is what you should be planning for. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. And it's a non-event. Tax season does not have to be stressful. It does not have to be ridden with panic and you don't have to fret about anything. If you do proper planning, it is a breeze. That's great. But I, I wouldn't say rare. I can't, I can't make that assertion. But I have heard complaints of people in that exact situation that you described come April 15th. They didn't know until that day what they owed, and then they're in panic mode because they had no idea it was going to be that much. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of hard to believe. I mean, you know if you're a high-income earner. You know know if you had a big transaction. You know if you sold your house and you have a huge gain. You know if you sold some highly appreciated stock. I mean, you have a general inkling. You know what I mean? Like, I got a lot of money in my bank account. Like, this is really awesome. I mean, you got to be feeling that. I know I know people. I mean, people do have short-term memory problems, you know, like, <laughs> might forget. But um, if, if that is your situation, you should be, you know, at least saying, hey, I'd like to have a conversation before you're in so I know what that number looks like. And I also can be asking the question, is there anything else I could do to reduce mm. those taxes? Because once the rent passes, there's a few things that we can do, you know, to change the past, but... You know, our options become more limited. And so it's just one of those things where, you know, 
call up your accountant and have a conversation and schedule a meeting and pay for it. It's worth it <laughs> to try to identify ways to reduce your taxes. I mean, every dollar you send to the IRS, you get no return. That's right. You don't get a thank you note. You're not going to get some additional benefit later. It's just gone. And it's most importantly gone from your business where you could be using yeah. it. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. That's good. I really like that. Yeah. Tax planning is really important. And I think that, you know, the accounting plus the tax planning really does, plus, you know, the strategic advisory services really does equal to enterprise growth and accomplishment of your personal and professional financial goals. I think that's, that recipe is, it exists for Mm -hmm. all business owners. I think there's an investment required in each of those things. You know, mm-hmm. um, you have to find the right people to help you, the right team. You know, you got to find somebody who's going to help you on the routine accounting side. You have to find somebody on the tax side. You need a good advisors, mentors, good business people. Yes. People are smart and savvy. Right. People are going to help you think about things you haven't ever thought about before. Like, how should I price this? Is there a better way to price it? Can I have recurring revenue? How do I standardize and scale in my business? I mean, like... There are so many business things to learn. I mean, outside of books, there's so many people who want to share that knowledge. They've been successful. So create an advisory board, you know, get this business, you know, turn your mom and pop shop into a world-class business. That's good. I like that. Now you have a pretty unique story that I'd love to share with listeners because of all things, you went into marketing, right? Yeah, that's where I started. Uh, so I have a degree in marketing and you'd say, well, how are you a CPA, right? Because mm. so, that's not very common to have somebody start in marketing and then end up in accounting. Yeah, it was kind of a, it's kind of one of those things where I just, I was always really good at math. I love math. Um, but I'm definitely was not going to be a scientist or an engineer because I have no spatial reasoning skills. Do, do not ask me to back into a parking space, okay? <laughs> um, unless there's a camera and maybe it doesn't worry you. Okay. Um, but um, so I started taking a, some accounting classes in college, of course, and um, I loved listening to the professor, uh, the professors and the career counselors who said, if you get uh, more accounting hours, then you'll get a, you'll get a better job. And, you know, I had my mother in my ear, you got to get out of school, you got to get a job. Um, So I said, okay, well, I'll get a better job. So I'll do more accounting. And then I just loved it. I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, I loved the process and the theory. It just resonated with me. So I did every possible accounting class I could at UT. And then I had to enroll in a community college at the same time and get special permission to start pursuing all this. And when I graduated, I was just a few hours short, and I went to work as an internal auditor uh, for Bank One. Oh. Uh, yeah, which was a really interesting experience. I had been a bank teller all through high school and college, so banking just seemed comfortable to me. Mm. And I learned a ton at working for the bank. But I worked for CPAs um, and the internal audit department. Right. And so um, they kept um, inspiring me, motivating me. Um, excellent role models, amazing women who really kind of guided and directed me for the at the onset of my career. And they said, you know, you should go back to school, get this you know, go study for this. And I mean, it was hard, um, but I passed it on the first try. Wow. Woo-hoo! Good for you. Yes. Um, and so then I decided to go into public accounting. And, um, when I arrived at a very, very small firm where it was me and another partner, um, I didn't even know what a trial balance was. <laughs> <laughs> 
I knew nothing about accounting. Oh, how funny. <laughs> Except for what I learned at the CPA exam and what I learned in college. And so it was a complete eye-opener. So, I can imagine. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, though, because maybe I didn't have the same experience as like someone who started off at Big Four with a lot of formal training. I've had to sort of learn a lot of stuff on my own and how it all kind of fits together. And sometimes I think that that's what makes me unique is, is that I've had to approach things completely different mm. than most accountants. You know, just it's more of a bootstrap type right. thought process along right. the way. Um, it's not someone teaching me like, this is how you were a CPA and this is how – it's just me putting my own sort of spin on things as I've been sort of progressing along in my career. So has it benefited you now owning your own firm to have that marketing experience? Oh, yes. I I, I love it. I mean, I th- it's actually interesting because I probably, I mean, for the first time and, you know, since I graduated from college, I'm actually using my degree a little How bit funny. more. Um, I really love that stuff. I think there's so much to share as a resource. I mean, that's one of the great things about being a CPA is we have a lot of intellectual capital, right? Mm-hmm. We have a lot of knowledge. We can be a resource in our community to business owners, other individuals, you know, other professionals. We can have yes. conversations like this and Absolutely. it can be fun. And so to me, um, marketing is really about us being able to take all that we've learned and share it um, and make make those businesses and individuals better than when we let, you know, found them, you know. So that's really um, how I think about it now. But I, I do love um, working on this side of the business. Um, I still keep my accounting and tax hat on um, sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I love being able to share a lot about how we've made a difference um, and our vision for how we can continue to impact people's lives. So what was it that motivated you or propelled you into starting your own business? Yeah, I did not. I got here all sorts of backwards. So, uh, yeah. So, um, and I'm not founder of the MB group. So I joined about three months after the company started. So, I mean, it was basically um, the beginning. Okay. Um, but it was the beginning of our accounting services uh, kind of team that okay. kind of grew um, there. And so I think it was um, when I first became an owner, I mean, I, I think that that pride that, that drive right there. Um, but I do remember, you know, my friends and family, like, are you sure you want to do this? This is crazy. Um, but I, I feel like it's, it's, oh, it's just been in me forever. Um, and I think was when I really kind of assumed the role that I'm in now was about three or four years ago. And that's when everything was kind of a game changer. Mm. So, um, there was a lot of, um, ability for me to leverage sort of the vision that I had. I have a fantastic business partner who said, I go ahead, Susan, just go, (laughs) just go. Yeah. And trusted me, um, to, um, kind of paint a different picture. So, I mean, in our firm, we've eliminated the billable hour. So we do everything on a fixed fee basis. We're, we're value pricers. Um, we are very focused on results, our core values, everything being true to that. Um, so we're just a little bit different. I'm on a mission um, to, of course, you know, be true to our core val- our, our core mission, our core business purpose, which is to transform the lives of our clients. Mm-hmm. That's how we make money. But along the way, we're going to transform our industry. I'm certain that we will. This, this That's a lofty goal. It is. But if anyone can do it, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And then, I mean, my my goal at the end of the day is is that we've transformed ourselves. Mm-hmm. So That's I think good. it's a it's a process, right? So we will we will have 
gone through all these challenges and obstacles and we will emerge, you know, better humans, better moms, sisters, you know, wives, you know, all the things, friends, neighbors, better people, you know, because of our, our ability to sort of go with that mindset. And it seems like you have um, really great goals for your culture and, you know, I, Obviously, I haven't talked to anyone in your organization besides you, but certainly from hearing you talk about the culture, it sounds like you put a lot of emphasis on that. Yeah, we I mean, I think it's really important more than more now than ever. I mean, we all, I mean, how many discussions have there been on, you know, the great resignation and talent wars mm-hmm. and I mean, talent retention. I mean, I want people to be so excited to come to work at our firm. Um, and I think every company, every business owner really needs to start thinking that way. Mm. We, we have to. Otherwise, those really great people, they're going to leave and they're going to go mm. someplace else or they're going to go start their own thing because I'll have more control over it. And so I think it's really good to be mindful of this. Um, and especially in our industry, it's just, it has been laden with some very, you know, there's stigmas, you know, around, you know, CPA firms. And yes. <laughs> tax season. And I mean, all sorts of, all sorts of things. And so, um, yeah, I think it's really important. We got to we got to keep that top of mind. It's a, it's an important thing, you know. We gotta, Absolutely. We want a positive environment where people can grow. People care about each other. It's more than just debits and credits, you know? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. I agree with that. Love it. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you're working on a book. Did you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, we definitely can. So it's probably more of a booklet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be a full-fledged book, but um, the idea is, is that there is, you know, over the 20 years that I've been working as a CPA, I've worked with so many business owners of so many different kinds, you know, from people who have sold their businesses for millions and millions of dollars to, you know, the sole practitioner who struggles, you know, I mean, all and, and all people in between. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, over the period of time, I've fortunate to observe all the amazing qualities that sort of go into a business owner. And so I've kind of developed what I would like to think of as like a, a recipe. So bon appetit for accounting. <laughs> um, uh, and it's sort of like, these are all the qualities that a business owner has to have, whether that's, you know, mindset or vision or a strong belief in their product or service, um, knowing their numbers. I mean, there's a, there's a long list long list of yeah. things that we yeah. have to embody, personify, right. live, be example for. I mean, it's it's almost like we have to be the pillar in our company and stand for all those things. Um, and that's, I see that in so many of my business owners. But then there's sort of all this list of like instructions, right? So this is like if you were thinking about a traditional recipe, it's like ingredients and then here's your instructions. And these instructions that I've sort of been crafting are more geared towards like the accounting stuff like don't try to do your own accounting. I mean, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean that you don't like you're, you know, uh, oh, hands off. I don't have to know anything. That's no. not true. You have to be educated. You have to understand it. You have to use the information. But that doesn't mean you have to like actually go into QuickBooks and do every single, tra- you know, code right. every single transaction. There's a real big difference um, right. in that. That's and s- what we are here for. Right. Yes. <laughs> Leverage these professionals, right, yes. to do this work. They're trained. They know how to do it. You don't have to – there's limited oversight. I mean, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of things, right? Um, so I've got a lot of instructions, you know, down to like you need a budget you know, or create or develop a really awesome – 
partnership with your accountant, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, be a good client to your CPA. I mean, a lot of people don't think about that. They think, oh, I need a good CPA. But are you a good client to your CPA? Uh-huh. So, are you organized? I have an episode. Now, specifically... I say don't get fired by your bookkeeper, but I think a lot of the principles I talk about there would apply to your CPA as yes, well. <laughs> I would say I'm sure that they do. I'm going to have to go listen to that one um, because I'm certain that that's right. You know, there there are just a lot of things like that that, you know, sometimes... Um, that might be a good topic for us to talk about together. Yeah. Is how to be a good client. Runder, yeah. And, you know, people don't think about this. Yeah. You know, but you know, developing that long-term partnership... Mm-hmm. Is, you know, communicating, responding. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, tax returns don't magically get prepared in a day. Right. Doesn't right, happen. You know right. what I mean? People can't prepare financial reports if you never send them the information. Right. I mean, we don't want to babysit people and right. how to pester you for information. You know what I mean? Right. Just pay your bills. I mean, there you I mean go. it's there pretty you simple. Go. There's some really basic things here. You know what I mean? <laughs> but really, all of it boils down to sort of this level of mutual respect, mm-hmm. you know? I think sometimes CPAs view themselves differently. I think maybe because I'm the business owner, I think I'm business owner to business owner. And I feel empowered to help them every possible way. They're great at whatever they do, whether it's right. recruiting or, you know, selling, I don't know, whatever, you know, widgets of some kind, you know, and I'm great at accounting. And so I think when, you know, we, we have that level of respect there, mm-hmm. um, I think it changes everything. And if they see us as business minded, mm-hmm. it changes the relationship. Absolutely. So find a CPA who is business minded. That's good. Great. If they're, they're going to have all those other qualities, they're going to be excellent at tax planning. They're going to be great accountants. They're going to help you with all sorts of relationships, give you access to their network. I mean, there's a million things that the yeah. CPA is going to do for you. That's but good. they've got to be business minded. So when your book is about to come out or does come out, we should reconvene and talk about drilling down on those ingredients and those instructions. A little okay. Bit more. Yes. And then I've got some chef secrets too. Ooh, okay. okay. All right. These there are maybe the things that are unrelated to accounting, but are still really important. But I couldn't okay. I couldn't not say them. Okay. So there you go. There's the <laughs> teaser. So if anybody wanted to reach you or the MB group, how can they find you? Yeah, so mbgcpa.com. That's our website. Okay. Or you can send me an email, sbryant at mbgcpa.com. That's the best way to get in touch with me and um, check us out. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Yeah. I really enjoyed getting to know you even better. Yeah, super fun. Thank you for having me on, Lindsay. Of course. And I'm Lindsay Klein with Sakline, honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time and your host of Buy the Books. You can find us at sakline.com, S-A-K-L-I-N-E.com or email us at info at sakline.com. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. Buy the Books is presented by Sakline. Honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. For more information on Sakline services or to get a hold of Lindsay, visit sakline.com or email info at sakline.com. The information provided on this website and podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general information purposes only. Information provided by Sakline may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter and should refrain from acting on the basis of this information without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation.